0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of "I Want to Matter." Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks.
1: Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter, and to be honest with y'all, I've been wilding this past week. Follow me on Twitter, at BurnsClan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the CEO of The Witness, Inc., the man, the myth, the legend, the best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, what's going on, brother?
2: What an honor to be introduced by the new oh, president of the Black Christian Collective. El Presidente, Top Brass.
1: Nah, don't even, don't yes. even, don't, nah,
2: man. Hey, thank you so much. It's 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 a privilege, Mr. President. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me on go. the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> listen man don't be wilding out don't be wilding out on this show i still got control of the mic i'm gonna here. wild all
2: the way out you can call me mr blue check verified i can call you mr president anytime okay well i guess i guess that's fair i guess i'll
1: allow that but if you're wondering and sitting there listening saying what are they talking about what happened why is jamar ceo why is tyler president well you guys have missed it i'm sorry if you skipped a week you missed a lot The Witness is expanding, and we want you to be a part of the movement. We are so excited about the expansions that are happening with our umbrella organization, The Witness, Inc., and our two divisions now of The Witness as an enterprise, and that is, of course, The Witness of Black Christian Collective and The Witness Foundation. So you need to go back and listen to the podcast episodes. That's right. Multiple episodes last week. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Go back and listen to these episodes. And you can always go to the thewitnessbcc.com for updates and for blogs and for explanations. And I have to shout out our team over at The Witness BCC, um, our new vice president, Ali Henney, our director of ops, Zena Jones, and a phenomenal group of people who are working so hard to put up content. We had some phenomenal content come out this past week. Uh, Jamar wrote an article about white evangelicals in the election and their wow, voting patterns. Out. Also, my brother, yes, yes, my brother, Max Petion, wrote some phenomenal reflections. Number one, he talked about, uh, black Christians, but then he also wrote the very rare, it is, it is very rare for us to write to white Christians. And Max wrote a prophetic. I mean, it was awesome. A prophetic directive to white Christians on the day of the election. Our sister, Kina Reed uh, wrote something phenomenal as well. And then the thing I was most excited about was Katina Stone Butler. She penned an incredible tribute to Bishop Rance Allen, who passed away. If you've ever heard the song, Something About the Name Jesus mm. by Kurt Franklin, then of course you know Bishop Rance Allen, his distinctive gospel music voice. So, so much is happening at the WitnessBCC.com. No excuse for you not to be a part of it. No excuse for you not to be on our newsletter. And with everything else that's happening, the expansion and the transitions, we're also raising money as well. So I'm going to pass it to the CEO for this. Tell us about the fundraising campaign, Jamar. Here we
2: go. Here we go. Pass it to me when we got to ask for money. It's all good. It's all good. I'll take it. Listen, I'm a pastor and I know who's supposed to raise the offering. Okay. (laughs) I know who's supposed to collect collect the offering. Come on now. Oh, man. Look, I I, I ain't ashamed. I ain't ashamed at all. Listen, Tyler, can we put it on the calendar at some point soon for me to have a little fireside chat about fundraising and funding Black ministries? Because they're so... much to to say. Um, I'm going to give you the short version, which is this, uh, The Witness Inc., which is the parent organization of two divisions, the Black Christian Collective, which you all know and love, and Tyler is now the president of, but we are adding the Witness Foundation, and that is headed up by a phenomenal Black Christian woman, uh, Shannon Polk, who is the executive director. And What is so. Yes, shout out to Shannon, man. Yes, and the entire team there, Shalice, and and everyone who's helping out on the foundation side. We want to fund five Black Christian leaders to the tune of $50,000 a year each for a two year fellowship program. So we want to be able to provide game changing kind of funding. And we're also going to provide training. Uh, we're going to pair them up with a mentor. We're going to give them some equipping for nonprofit leadership and justice work and entrepreneurial impact. And so this is this is this is a high caliber, high powered internship, along with everything the BCC is doing. You heard Tyler talking about the incredible posts and content they've been they've been putting out. We want to continue doing that, and so we need your help. We are raising $500,000 to fund this expansion, and we need you to be a part of it. This is called the Will You Be a Witness campaign, and it is speaking to the inflection point that we're at in our society uh, around racial justice in particular, but a whole host of issues. Brothers and sisters, if we push and lean in at this moment... We might could see some serious positive changes for justice, and the witness wants to be a part of it, and we want you to be a part of helping us get there. So, if you are interested in learning more, if you are interested in making your one-time or recurring contribution, visit thewitnessinc.com. This is a new website, thewitnessinc.com, and you will be able to donate. You can say. Uh, uh, You can donate and designate your funds to the BCC, the Black Christian Collective. You can designate your funds to TWF, the Witness Foundation, or you can simply say where needed most and we will allocate the funds internally. So please visit thewitnessinc.com and answer the question, in the affirmative, will you be a witness?
1: Man, so it's interesting. We launched this expansion and campaign on the weekend before the pinnacle, the climax of 2020, which is saying a lot because we've been through so much in this calendar year. And the day before uh, this big climax moment, we launched our fundraising campaign. That was November 2nd. And obviously, you know, Tuesday, November 3rd was the presidential election in the United States here. Uh, For those of us who are overseas listening in, Pray for us. Pray pray for the country, please. OK, just come into agreement. Stretch your hands toward the device. Uh, Come into agreement that there would be peace because this was, Jamar, this was wild. <laughs> this was a wild few days. This was this, this felt like a year. It was a year
2: this past week. It, it It was so on brand for 2020 to have the election on November 3rd and then not have any sort of results officially till Saturday in the middle of the day. That was so on yeah, ground for 2020. Yeah.
1: So we are recording this post this big announcement. Now things can change rapidly. We have no idea what's going to happen as far as when transition and concession. So if you're, if you're listening to this and something has changed since the time this was w- recording has been released, what we know right now is that Joe Biden, the former vice president to President Obama... Has been elected as the 46th president of the United States. Uh, he received somewhere in the vicinity of 290 electoral votes at this point in the counting process. And there are a few states that are still to be decided. I think he's going to win the popular vote, Jamar, by I believe 6 million votes or something close to that, perhaps even more uh, than that. So it wasn't very close on a popular vote scale, but there was definitely a sense of uh, trepidation. There was definitely kind of a collective holding of breaths across the country as mail-in ballots started to file in. So we had our initial in-person election um, votes that were counted the night of, and those started to come. And then certain states allowed for mail-in ballots to be counted prior to, or to be counted on that night, um, not after a post-election day as other states, which were very important. To Vice President Biden were actually um, counted, so it was a lot of back and forth and concern. But eventually, Joe Biden did prevail. Now, along with that, we have the momentous occasion of our first woman vice president, and also a person of color as well—a black woman. Kamala Harris, and she is also of uh, South Asian descent as well. So this is a historic election on many levels because it's rare for an incumbent president to be unseated. And then we have the barrier-breaking nature of this presidential ticket. So congratulations to President-elect Biden and also Senator Kamala Harris. And I've been having so many conversations with, whether it's my wife or friends and other Black women my sister as well, who are expressing just such joy at the, the nature of how this broke barriers and the nature of seeing Kamala Harris be able to accept the vice presidency. So this is a moment, Jamar. We have to acknowledge that this is a moment.
2: Absolutely, it's a moment. I was not sure when to expect... I mean, I knew they would call it at some point, right? But I knew it wouldn't be on Tuesday. I knew it probably wouldn't be Wednesday. Thursday, I was thinking, okay... Maybe we're getting closer Friday felt very up in the air and I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure do I need to stay up late tonight like it's tonight the watch night kind of a thing and uh, uh, I stayed up a little later than usual but then news broke midday on Saturday Saturday. And I'll tell you, it took me-
1: Where were you? Like, help help (laughs) me, like walk me through this because this is very interesting. Like, where were you and did you expect it to feel the way that it felt? Because I'm just assuming, we haven't even really talked about it, Right. but I'm just assuming you felt this same sense that many of us did who have been- holding our breath for these past four years?
2: Man, I was at the crib, and I think I was on my phone when I saw the announcements start coming in over social media and getting the alerts and whatnot. Man, I wanted to run around the house. It was like, oh, (laughs) the way I I literally felt was like I had been holding my breath for four years and I could finally exhale. Like it was that much tension, that Mm. much built up, you know, just stress and frustration and and expectation. And then to have it come down to the actual election day and still not know for almost a week, it was like, oh my goodness, relief. Mm -hmm. Finally, we know. And it was interesting because it had been trending in Biden and Harris's direction. So it was this very cautious week of like, could they, might they, maybe? And then when we finally got the word, it was like, yes, okay, whoo, I can, yeah. it's yeah. okay. Yeah. And you know what was so interesting
1: about it is once you got to Wednesday midday, I would say, once I got to Wednesday midday, I was pretty sure they were going to win. Um, I didn't think that there would be the level of certainty that there was in the next couple of days. But once the votes started to come in and things started to trend as they started to trickle in ever so slowly, Listen, whoever in Nevada needs to. uh <laughs> whoever yeah, they, they Okay, Nevada, Nevada, Nevada. I know they are gonna get me. Listen, we need y'all to hurry up. Okay, don't do that again to us. Nevada don't do that got, to us. Nevada please. got
2: the meme treatment online, man. They got all the all the memes. Listen, and I know people
1: gonna get it because we we done said Nevada or Nevada. I, listen, whatever envy, envy. the That's state of envy. <laughs> I need y'all to hurry up. Don't do that to us next time, okay? We have fragile emotions, okay? We are fragile people. Uh, Georgia too, listen. They was like- they- Y'all better get the chairman of the Deacon Board. You better get the chairman of the Deacon Board counting these votes. They the, What is
2: wrong with y'all? They pulled the electoral
1: version of who all going to be there. <laughs> exactly. Y'all better get- Listen, get the chairman of the Deacon Board of the local First Baptist Church- missionary Baptist church, primitive Baptist church, get them to count it. It's going to get done and it's going to get done quick. Quickness. Okay, Look, but hey man, at the end of it, I- I've sensed that there are a lot of people feeling this these dual feelings at the same time. And I found myself vacillating back and forth between relief, which was an, an overarching feeling. And relief is a valid feeling, right? Regardless of what people say about presidents and the the level of corruption in Washington. This was a unique evil that we experienced. This was a unique, um, a unique moment of vitriol and division and divisiveness from the highest office in the land. This was a unique moment of us kind of slipping down into what felt like a bottomless pit of indecency and hatred. So this was unique, right? I, I, and I've said this on Twitter, and I really want to reinforce it here. Do not allow people to soften what we experienced over the past four years. What we experienced over the past four years was unique. It was not It was not a normal presidency. It was not a normal first term. It was not a normal situation for our country. And yes, we can go back hundreds of years to slaveholding presidents and, and presidents who I called people names, started wars. Yes, we can go back to those things. We're not saying that presidents are blameless. But what I want to emphasize here is all the levels of decorum and class and consideration and humanity were violated by this racist, sexist, <laughs> xenophobic president. Let's just be honest about it, right? So there was that moment of relief because we passed through that. There was an exhale emotionally. But Jamar, I think there's another feeling. It's not just relief, but I think there's also the feeling of grief as well. Because what have these four years taken from us? And what has just, for example, what has a lack of leadership in the year 2020 in the midst of a global pandemic done to us and taken from us? And I think of so many people who are listening who know someone who's passed away from coronavirus. I know someone who's passed away from COVID-19, multiple people people who I care about, people who I looked up to and respected, pastors who have passed away from this deadly disease. And how much of that could have been prevented if we had significant leadership? How many uh, young people were separated from their parents at the border? How many Black men and women would still be here if they had the opportunity, the avenue for a livable wage and and healthcare and, and, and affordable housing and and a criminal justice system that actually cared about our bodies. How many people would still be here? And I find myself after 200, over 230,000 people dying to COVID-19, feeling a sense of relief that, yes, there is a, a voting out, but also a sense of grief that we had to pass through this, and that we are still presently under siege right now as Black people and as Black Christians. So I think all of us, Jamar, are trying to navigate this web of relief and grief. The memes, which are funny, but then also the pain, which is not, and the joking, which is a, a sort of catharsis, but then also the, the realization that over the next two months, we're still holding our breath to see if this uh, menace is going to transfer power peacefully and is going to actually navigate our country um, out of this and and participate in that process. So, I think we're all feeling those two feelings, Jamar.
2: So I made a joke. Uh, our our resident social psychologist and friend Christina Edmondson would would call it trauma laughter. All of these ways that we are trying to find humor in a very serious and many ways tragic situation. But I said on Twitter that folks on the internet all sounded like every post game interview you've ever heard where, (laughs) right. Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) They're interviewing like the, the winning team or somebody from the winning team. And they're basically like, yeah, you know, this was a big win. Uh, you know, we're going to take this night. We're going to enjoy it. But then tomorrow is back to work. We got a lot of work to do. Game isn't over yeah. you know. Job's okay. not done. Job's not, not, done, not done, right? Done. The Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I, I got the job's not done vibes from a lot of people, including myself, where it was like, I also said online, like, take this moment. Take this day. Take this sense of being able to breathe again. Take this sense of relief. Take this sense of, oh, my goodness, we don't have to endure another four years of this or worse and experience it. Like feel it and feel all the feels, right? It doesn't just have to be joy or elation or relief. Feel whatever you feel—grief or or sadness or or whatever it is. And so that was the main anger, thing. bro. Anger. anger. Oh my god! Yes, yes. Righteous anger. And so that was the main thing to to just be in the moment Saturday. And for me, honestly, it didn't it didn't really start to hit till Sunday, the next day, when I woke up. To a different political reality. That was when it was like, oh man, it's it can be different, you know. But then at the same time, like you were saying, it's like, you know, a lot of people online have also been saying, Yay, we get to sort of evict this apotheosis and hyper racism. And we get to go wow. back to racism mm-hmm. as usual. <laughs> right
1: <laughs> yeah someone said someone said we we get to go back to the get out version of racism get out that, version. that i would have voted for obama three times you right. know like
2: <laughs> if you know you know yeah exactly so so it's that sense of we are by no means delivered from a racist white supremacist uh pseudo democracy in a lot of ways we have so 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 much work to do even with this president who is in so many ways different from what we have endured uh, these past several years. So it's it's that tension, yeah. right? That tension of, thank goodness, we don't have to deal with this particular evil and and challenge and obstacle and whatever it is. But we have other stuff to deal with, like we've always had. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, one of the major reflections that I had is – man we as black people and uh, as black christians of course specifically i'm speaking to but as black people generally we have so much power hmm. and we don't acknowledge that power it is poetic justice to see after 5 years of talking negatively about our communities after 5 years of trashing us after 5 years of, of we call you know talking cash <laughs> five years of talking mess to our politicians and our celebrities and our leaders and our news anchors and representatives of our community. After five years of that, the black cities in these major swing states sent the president home. We talk about Atlanta, you talk about Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Detroit, and the black cities in these places rose up and said, You can talk about us all you want, but we do not forget. We will not forget that you talked about our people. We will not forget that you called the places that we live infested. We will not forget that you call those places slums. And we'll vote you out.
2: Asshole country.
1: And I think we forget sometimes about the power that we have, the level of when we come together as a community, what we can do and how we can shape things. And I have to shout out uh, Stacey Abrams and the phenomenal group of women. It was not just Stacey Abrams. But it was groups of women in Georgia and in other places who banded together and raised so much support and were able to get voter turnout so high and were able to mobilize Black people to understand and come in contact with our power. And we talk so much about the witnesses about Black agency, man. It's about, yes, we are unashamedly Christian and yet we are un- unapologetically black and in that unapologetic blackness we are exercising the agency that God has given to us not to think of ourselves less than what we are but to live into our dignity as we talked about last week and then exercise that dignity and power so that the least of these in the historically marginalized and disadvantaged and disenfranchised communities can have equity and can have a chance to flourish in God's world.
2: So I heard uh, somebody describe what was unique about Martin Luther King Jr. And obviously he was an incredible orator, um, incredible writer, uh, insightful, prophetic, philosophical but 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 one thing they singled out, they said that King had convening power convening power, Mm, meaning mm. when he put out the call, when he sent up the bat signal, other people would come, other people would respond, other people would gather. Now that was in application to an individual, but I think it has a communal application as well that Black people as a people have convening power for justice so that when we get together, when we mobilize, when we activate, it has an attractional power, a magnetic power for the rest of the country, for other people groups to gather around. And I think that is what we saw happen in states like Georgia and Michigan and other places, Pennsylvania. Um, And it speaks to what you were saying, Tyler, about Our power, like never underestimating the level of influence we have, never abusing it, but also recognizing Mm -hmm. that we don't have to live the way so many people want to force us to live. And when we mobilize, when we gather, when we activate, we can bring together a broad coalition that can work from the grassroots for positive change.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and certificate programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit.
1: Absolutely, man. You talked about some things as it relates to our place in the church and how we respond to white evangelicals in the article on the witnessbcc.com. What did you notice about the 81%? Because that number came back. That number did a remix this year. 81% of white evangelicals, yet again, according to many of the exit polls, voted for President Trump. What does that tell you? And what are some things that you're reflecting on as a result of that?
2: Right. So we did get some preliminary data about uh, voters and the electorate and and their demographics and who they voted for. Those numbers might change or fluctuate. This is preliminary data. But I don't think anything is going to change the fact that people who self-identify as both white and evangelical still voted for Trump in overwhelming numbers. Uh, so the the data I saw was from the AP, and it came in at 81%. And that's that infamous number from 2016, where exit polls showed uh, that four out of five white evangelicals who voted pulled the lever for Trump. And here we are, after separating kids at the border, after calling uh, African and Caribbean nations s hole countries. After uh, uh, playing patty cake with white supremacists and saying stand back and stand by after the lies, the thousands and thousands of lies, which have literally been documented by various news outlets. After all of that, still, that support remained virtually unchanged. And before everybody jumps to all the caveats, oh, well, there were some people who jumped off, there were some people who didn't vote. Uh, Okay, I get that. But people who voted, and called themselves white and evangelical, still voted in overwhelming numbers for this man. And so the article I wrote was entitled, The Biggest Threat to Christianity in the U.S. And it was a counterpoint to so many far-right Christians and fundamentalist Christians who say that critical race theory, communism, Marxism, Liberalism, leftism, whatever label they want to slap on it, that's what's really threatening the church. And I just said, you know, mm-hmm. look at these numbers. And is the real threat to the church critical race theory or is it something else called Christian nationalism? Christian nationalism. Uh, I won't go into all the details on it. You can read the article, but you can also read the book, Taking America Back for God. Uh, by uh, Samuel Perry and Andrew Whitehead, two two sociologists, and they unpack it really, really well. But Christian nationalism is this blend of race, religion, and xenophobic type of nationalism, right? And it is the same type of Christianity, asterisk, that Ku Klux Klan members practice, It is uh, very similar to what we're seeing these ardent Trump supporters practice. I referenced an ad that came out just before the election. It was of the Idaho lieutenant governor, uh, and she was in basically like this sort of military-looking van. There was a huge American flag draped over it. She was slightly leaning out the driver's side window, and she had a Bible, and then in her other hand was a handgun.
1: Yeah, that was a that was a jarring photo. Bro.
2: Very jarring. And she's basically baptizing this sort of pro-gun xenophobic type of nationalism with the Bible. And I said, you know, are black people leaving white evangelical spaces in droves because of CRT or because of Christian nationalism? I said are people who aren't Christians looking at US Christianity and saying, oh, heck no, because of critical race theory or because of Christian nationalism? Are we having this sort of, I think evangelicals are in a much-needed existential crisis of identity. Is that because of critical race theory (laughs) or because of Christian nationalism and people not being able to reconcile the faith they have with a savior who says, uh, love your neighbor as yourself with support of a man who seems to love only himself? And so that was the basic mm, idea of it. Mm.
1: Wow, that's powerful, man. And and I think so many people are having to deal with now what we perceive as, yes, there is a shifting in the power structure in this country, but there's that shifting at the top. And now there's this perceived white lash, to borrow the phrase, there's this perceived white lash that is going to be happening in towns and cities, in places where you know, the president isn't even present, but his ideology has seeped into. And so now I think it's very interesting for us to navigate that. Actually, last night, I didn't even tell Jamar this, but last night I was driving home and about a mile from my house, there was a gas station. I stopped at the stoplight and there was a gas station and I saw in the corner of the gas station, there was this group of trucks and there was a group of trucks and it was some uh, young white Teenagers or young adults who are outside, either drinking or congregating, and they were in a circle. And in that circle, all the trucks had Confederate flags on them. Mm. Every single one of the trucks mm. had Confederate flags, and they were. So, and I was like, I don't know what they're about to do, um, <laughs> but wherever they're going, I don't want to be. And it showed, and I think a lot of people are considering. And you know, with all these threats, with kidnapping threats of governors, with mm-hmm. assassination threats. Um, of the president-elect and the vice president-elect, of all these things now, what is the repercussion and what is the white lash that is going to happen as a result of white Christians not being able to exercise control or white people not being able to exercise control? It's important for us to remember it's about control. It is not about the things you think it's about. A lot of times people get into arguments and conversations with, with people black Christians feel the need to explain themselves. We feel the need to go back and forth and because it's about the policies and it's about the legislation. It is not about the policies and the legislation at the heart. It is about control of our ideas. Notice how people are telling us post four years and really five years because of the uh, ensuing presidential campaign, the preceding presidential campaign in 2016, because of five years of us having to consistently, constantly hear xenophobic rhetoric, racist dog whistles, all kinds of things, violent threats, uh, because of us having to deal with this, and we have a moment of exhale within hours of the announcement. Within hours, Jamar, people were telling us how we were supposed to feel and what we were supposed to say. The same people who have softballed their assessment of this racist president, the same people who have had nothing to say to him, who have ta- who have not talked about unity, but have instead talked about the perceived disunity and division that they say we are bringing into the church. The same people are now telling us what we should feel, how we should react, what we should say, and who we should reach out to understand. And I'm saying, th- it doesn't work like that. That's backwards. And, and it seems as though many white Christians... They need to control the emotions of others because they're suppressing their own. Mm. And when you touch their own control, what tends to happen, they lash out. So you can just be saying congratulations to the vice president elect because this is historic. And then your comment section lights up. Mm. Why is that? Because now they cannot control you and they cannot control your reaction. And now because they don't, they feel they're, they're so afraid of being partisan, they're so afraid of being political, they don't have an embodied theology. And so because it's dichotomized, they look at you and say, you, you should be like me. And we say, no, we're embodied. It all flows together. And the justice of my body matters as much as the salvation of my soul. And because we say congratulations, now they say, oh, no, we can't control you. So now then that's when you see the emotions come out. When you challenge them about racism, that's when the emotions come out. But when they lose control, then what do they need to do? They have to go and try to suppress your emotions. They have to go and try to tell you that your emotions are not valid. Why are you feeling relieved? Where's your hope? Where's this? Okay, because I said it's historic, I've lost my hope in Jesus. Because I've said, I'm glad this person's out of the White House. Now my salvation is in question. My sanctification is in question. That's not a theological and spiritual assessment. It is about human control. And that's what's happening right now, Jamar.
2: And on top of all that, as if that's not infuriating enough, is they're not consistent with it. Like this has always been the case where it's been Mm -hmm. so selective in terms of outrage And it usually falls along the lines, this defensiveness comes up, this trying to control people's feelings and whatnot usually comes up around matters of race. And it usually comes up when they perceive that they are somehow losing, right? But if Trump had won again, or a Republican had won in some other race, and we said the exact same things, you'd be applauded. So it's not even consistent. It's not even like, oh, we should be apolitical or we should be middle of the road, right down the line, whatever. No, they only really, a lot of folks only really pull that out when you're talking about, quote unquote, the opposing side, namely when you're talking about Democrats. And
1: And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, is it about peace or is it about policing our emotions? And power. Is it about peace or policing? Like, is that what it's about? Mm. Is it about exercising your power and control over us? Yeah. Or is it about... So whenever someone says, it's about peace, unity, I'm like, oh, mm. you want to exercise power over us. Oh, that's what's going on. Okay. I'm like, I am not amused. I am not tricked. I am not fooled. And I think, and I've been able to see this in the PTM group as well, the Facebook group. I think more and more black Christians are becoming wise to it, but it doesn't It doesn't take away the sting and mm. it doesn't take away the betrayal. Say that. Of having invested in those spaces. So I know a lot of people are like, well, why do we expect anything from them? Yeah, man. It's off. true we shouldn't expect anything from them and, and we shouldn't lean and place weight and give loyalty to them, but it's also the reality of we have invested so much of our lives and so much of our existence and so much time. And it feels like this, these stages and waves of grief that we're feeling over the course of you know, pulling ourselves away from white evangelical control or reformed Christianity control, it feels like just this ripping. And so there's this level of grief that we're consistently feeling and loss that we have to be honest about. We can't deny that emotion either.
2: I'm glad you said that. I mean, I think you live and you learn, right? But at the same time, what you were saying, like these Somehow, some way, for better or for worse, right or wrong, these were our communities. These were people we trusted. And, and what I always say, what I always say is that folks sold us a message like they were conveying and communicating something about unity and acceptance and inclusion. And so it's not just that we were dumb and blindly stumbled into these circles, People called us into these circles. They made promises. We took a risk and ended up many times getting burned. But don't turn around and say, well, you should have known better. Man, look, the only reason you can say that is probably because you went through something yourself where somebody could have told you that same thing. So let people be on their journey and stop shaming them for the pain they've already experienced and the betrayal they've already experienced.
1: Yeah, that's very important, man.
2: And I'll add one more thing um, as far as like kind of where do we go from here type of thing. There's a lot of rhetoric about sort of, quote unquote, reaching out to the other side, right? Okay, now that your candidate won, you need to reach out to these disaffected white, non-college educated voters and figure out why they voted for Trump, why they love him and figure out a way to work together. Uh, first of all, it's exhausting language. It's absolutely- miss us with that. Miss us
1: with that.
2: Man, say it, say it, say miss it. Miss
1: us with that. I'm sorry, I had to hop in. Miss us with that rhetoric. Like we don't know these people. Like we oh. haven't been around them. Miss us? No, we are not going to. No, we are not going to be peacekeepers. We're going to be peacemakers. Mm. There's a difference.
2: Mm. Okay. Uh, Sermon. Okay, go ahead. I, I'm done. I'm go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. I'm passing it to you. Um, but if there is a reaching out that has to be done, do not look to black people to do it. I'm not saying mm. that black people may not take it upon themselves of their own volition, but don't don't put that on us. Um, I have been mulling over and turning over in my mind for the past 48 hours. a a post I saw from my guy, Rich Viotis. It's one of these interesting things. We've never met before. We've interacted online, but I feel a kindred spirit. I love the way he interprets scripture and life, Um, cop his book, The Deeply Formed Life. Uh, But Rich Viotis put out a, a post on Twitter. He said, in the same way Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, the church needs apostles to the American Christians who are steeped in idol worship, nationalism, racism, sexism, and the like. He said, the church needs apostles to the American Christians. And immediately my mind jumped to Christian nationalists, um, which actually spans races and ethnicities, not just white people, but predominantly white people. And so if there is a reaching out that needs to be done, especially among Christians, white people, that's your work. So I know we have a lot of uh, white listeners on the show, and we appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Here's your charge going forward. You have to be apostles to the Christian nationalists among you. Some of you have already started to undertake this work. You're having difficult conversations. You're letting people know where you stand. I know numerous people who have literally lost relationships with family members over this. Um, But guess what? That is the work. And what you're experiencing is nothing different than what Black Christians and our allies and advocates have always experienced when we stood up for justice uh, especially among other Christians. And so uh, don't think what is happening to you is strange. And and remind yourselves of the scripture when Jesus said, look, the, the truth divides. And it says, anyone who's not willing to leave mother and father and sister and brother for my sake is not worthy of the kingdom. So I can't sit up here and sort of pat you on the back and say it's going to be OK. I don't know that it's going to be OK. You might lose relationships with dear friends and even family members, parents. I know I know families who will not bring their kids into certain households of family members because they don't want to expose their children to the racism, the prejudices, the stereotyping mm-hmm. yeah. happening in that home. Yeah. And that's what comes along with standing up for justice. But the work that has to be done, if there is a reaching out and a reaching across, then white sisters and brothers... That's that's your work. Like that's how you and yeah, you can have it. Yeah, go for it.
1: Listen, and, and I'm not saying I'm not saying this is binding, this is how I feel right now. So don't don't hold me to this. But I'm just saying right now, I question whether or not black Christians should even be in white spaces explaining racism to them. Mm. Like and I question Not necessarily the sense of work, right? Like, so you have a work that you do with color compromise, with how to fight racism. You have a work that you do. But I think a lot of us, we don't have books. We don't have organizations. We're just out here talking to folks Mm -hmm. and begging them. And again, when are we going to stop begging people? Think about this. All the money that was spent on books, your book became a bestseller this year, Jamar. All the, all the money that was spent on books, all the conferences, all the talks, all the panels did not change a thing when it came, largely did not change anything. I'll give space to some change that could come out that happened. But as far as we know right now, did not change anything about the numbers of white evangelicals who voted for Donald Trump. All, all the black squares, all the I run with mods, it didn't change anything. So so why are we giving effort and time and attention and ourselves trying to just say, we must exist in this space, this is what we must do, when really and truly it needs to be the people who grew up in those spaces, who are invested in those spaces, Who are truly missionaries and apostles to those spaces. And it just, it really, truly, it 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 exhausts me on behalf of black Christians who are fighting that fight and yet still running up against opposition and coming back every week. Running up against opposition and coming back every week. And so many black Christians now don't even feel like they can post a celebration because they're like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna moderate my comment section. I can't even post a celebration. I can't even post a reflection. I can't even post a picture. I'm saying, that's not how you're supposed to live. And so if you have a work, that's great. But my question is, what is the efficacy of us being in these spaces Mm. and constantly explaining Mm. when nothing is changing when it comes down to the layup of layups, which is, hey, just don't don't support a racist president. (laughs) Don't support a misogynistic xenophobic. This is a layup. Okay, we're not ta- we're not saying you gotta understand all the all the you know eccentricities of everything, the complexities. We're not saying you have to understand all that. That's cool. Just don't vote for this person. And people are like, I, I don't know. <laughs> and then they end up voting for him in the same percentages as they did four years ago after all that they've seen and heard. Seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear. So the question is: what are we doing? And why are we supposed to be in those spaces? And again, it's why the work at the witness is so important.
2: Oh, that's the perennial question, <laughs> you know. W- should we be in these spaces? The one thing I'll say, uh, there
1: are. I'm just on my journey, okay. So just listen. You just know, let me. I'm just. I, I'm I, on my I, journey, I, so I'm just. I'm talking. I'm talking right now, so y'all know.
2: We both got a testimony. We both got
1: a testimony. We know that of which. So we I'm speak. just talking.
2: <laughs> we know that of which we speak, um, but we are constantly trying to sound the lyrics of liberation for uh, Black Christians who are in these spaces, because oftentimes we're one of the only, one of the few there, we may not hear these messages where we are. And I know for me, it wasn't until I started seeing other people, whether near or far, who were living into that liberation, that I finally said, this could be me too. This could apply to us. So, so we so, so you're always going to hear that from us. We're all we're always going to say uh, there are places that will celebrate you and not simply tolerate you, and that is a a, a question we constantly need to be asking. Um, are we serving as mascots in these spaces? Because what often happens is our presence is an excuse for white people to say that they do not believe or act in racist ways, and in reality. <laughs> Because we're there, they're actually not doing some of the work they're supposed to. I read somewhere that there has to be a consequence for racism. So so often we maintain fellowship and continue to platform people who act, speak, or demonstrate racism, and there's no consequence for it. So what's to stop them from doing it and to continue doing it, right? And and even more crucially perhaps is our own survival, our own flourishing. And Listen, we've said this a million times. It is not, quote unquote, canceling people, right? I don't cancel people because Jesus didn't cancel me. No, but Jesus did say, wipe the dust from your sandals and move on Mm -hmm. if they don't receive Mm -hmm. your message. So I'm just saying, life works in seasons. And especially now, I really believe we're at an inflection point in our nation as far as uh, the racial climate and the racial status quo right now is a time for self-reflection, evaluation, and perhaps even moving on.
1: And listen, uh, you know, let you know as as we transition out here, as we close out, man, can the prophets stop prophesying about the elections? Can can the prophets can I <laughs> Listen, I'm a Pentecostal, okay? Like I believe in the prophetic, but can we stop? Can we stop misusing the prophetic? Can we stop? Can we we do that? Turn
2: in your prophetic cards. Come on. Wiling out online. Stop. What you talking about? Y'all need to stop. Make it plain. Make it plain.
1: No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, y'all listen. I don't think this is what God meant and intended (laughs) when he talked about (laughs) prophecy, okay? It's not just it's not just foretelling. It's also foretelling as well, which is speaking the truth about injustice and judgment upon nations and people who are not living in accordance with God's laws and God's uh, express dictates as He calls for us to treat people. But listen, if you're talking about two choices, that's a guess. That's not a prophecy. Don't put God's name on it. That's a guess. Okay, (laughs) that's a projection. In your projection, okay, you think this person is going to win, or based upon your own political. leanings and beliefs you want this person to win and you're saying okay y'all i think he gonna win okay fine then say that but don't call a projection of prophecy okay be blessed be blessed and be blocked y'all need to unfollow these folks stop believing what they saying they taking your money and they running with it okay that's all i just wanted to say that before we closed <laughs> out because the prophets need to turn in their cards
2: <laughs> very good very good that's a word